Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Money. 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 I am the Monet. I am Kyrie. You can't take that away from me. I will still eventually. You weren't expecting from a New Japan podcast, but up until last night, I was going to do like insert Mercedes Monet's name into like that old money, money, money song. That we used to always use for money in the bank, but then randomly I was doing dishes last night and I was thinking of this match uh, for the women's title, and that idea popped into my head. I went equally stupid, if not more so. So perfectly in keeping for this show. <laughs> what a wonderful way to kick, kick kick things off. Although people might have turned off quicker quicker than a Chase Owens match. <laughs> I've ended quicker than. Me a losing to Okada, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're here for another installment of East Meets West. We are uh, a little bit ahead of our, the first Tuesday of uh, the month, which would have been the start of March because we've already done a February episode. But uh, we have the New Japan Cup coming up, which would actually start before our next episode was due. So we've been given a little bit of leeway. Uh, to come here, talk to you about Battle in the Valley, the ending of the new beginning tour in Osaka, and look ahead to the anniversary show and the New Japan Cup, which will take up uh, most of March. And we're back at the end of March, talking about the fallout of that and preview uh, Sakura Genesis, which I believe will be the next big show after that. But yes, join me here to read out all the big happenings with Bullet Club and, you know, money. <laughs> he he is the Ian Riccoboni to my Matthew Rewalt. He is Graham McRobbie. Pleasure to be back. And yes, we, well, they've, they've actually managed to give us a slightly stuffed, but not ridiculously stuffed like we had to do the last time for a show, thank God. <laughs> yeah, no, it is it's stuffed, but there's still plenty to talk about. So hopefully it won't crack the two-hour mark like I'm pretty sure the last episode very nearly did. So... Grant, let's talk about the new beginning in Osaka, which does feel like quite a while ago. I'll give a brief mention to the undercard because out of the eight matches, like six of them really felt like they, they meant something. But the other matches we had, we had opened with Aaron Hanari and Groot Okan defeating Turiyai and Oscar Loibe. Really, it was just done so that Okan and Hanari, like, the, really just done so the commentators could talk about how much Hanari and uh, okay, we're probably likely to have good joints in the New Japan Cup. Then we have an eight-man tag of Naito, Sanada, Hiromu, Bushi taking on to get the Tiger Mask, Shota and uh, Honma. And a match that went eight minutes. The entrances for this match took 11 minutes. <laughs> Shota Umino's entrance to the crowd took up three of those 11 minutes. Because someone's trying to clearly outdo Naito for entrance length. I'm actually going to take that as Naito and it's both man getting ready for a match in history. We've got these two trying to outdo each other. 
Jesus, their entrances combined probably for as long as that match that they had back in the photo. But the big thing about that match is not just the LIG one, it's afterwards we had Leo Rush appear via video to challenge Hiromu to a match for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship, which has been confirmed to happen uh, at the New Japan Cup final, which I'm very excited about. What was your reaction when, uh, when Leo Rush appeared to make this challenge? I'm excited for it. Like it, it had a good showing, um, like sort of like the with the juniors with um, with Yo lately. So I'm I'm actually I'm actually sold on this on this one. Like they they had a great match at Wrestle Kingdom with Catch Two Two. Um, still unfinished business there. So giving me Leo v Hiromu, why would I not enjoy that? That that screams money match. Despite the fact that Leo Rush has retired almost as many times as Terry Funk. <laughs> I know. It's interesting because they've got the All-Star Juniors Festival uh, on the 1st of March, which Hiromu's now behind, so you think Hiromu would be competing on the card. And just Each promotion keeps announcing their representatives from each, themselves. Uh, Taka's promotion is their first competitor, and to no one's shock, it was Taka himself. Uh, <laughs> I heard like someone from Super Jcast joking, like, with well, the sheer amount of people they've been announcing for that, like, I think there's more people confirmed to be on this card than that article that can actually fit inside Corgan Hall where it's being held. It's going to be interesting just watching people jump out the crowd or what to get in their match and then come back out again. This guy's sitting there, you got Doki sitting on one side, you got Ninja Mac on the other side, everyone's just sitting there. Their music is like, oh, that's me. Right, uh, hold my jacket. Doki just reveals he was hiding a pipe underneath the seat the whole time. Like, where did you get that from? You don't want to know. It's, I think it's weird that it's clearly an independent, Brad is an independent show, which is why they're charging you, like, fucking pay-per-view to watch it on New Japan World, and why it's probably, and probably why it's not on New Japan's, like, schedule on its website, but I'm interested to see what happens, you know. I'm happy with matches, you know, like, this being confirmed for, like, tournament finals, when it's got guys who probably won't be involved in, particularly like, having a juniors match at the end of New Japan Cup at the end of like the G1, or like when we had the Never Tail at the World Tag League final, it gives you something extra to tune in for other than the tournament itself. Yeah, it's it's nice It's nice to kind of like break things up or what, and it's not about sort of just shoehorning them in. They always make it work, and they always put on a show to impress. Uh-huh. Uh, unfortunately, I did upset a few people like Robbie Eagles, who basically said, Leo, you didn't put this in the, uh, in the Chaos group chat. And uh, probably pissed off after what I tried to more. He probably thought they were going to challenge their own after this match if they won it. And so, like, oh, geez, another person jump in the queue. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of things going on in that chaos group chat, which we'll probably get to later. But yeah, I'm sure that was like, oi, are you playing it? My turn. This is. No, you are too. If you and Robbie can get along and share your title shots, you can't have. No one can have any. But, you know, you talked about the Chaos group chat. I mean, the state of the Bullet Club group chat this last couple of weeks must be insane because the next, like, five matches all involve members of Bullet Club and they won one of them, which I was shocked that I thought maybe they'd win three. Uh, I, th- I was hoping that House of Torture, you know, would lose. I think a lot of people sensed that uh, Switchblade J. White was probably going to lose. But yeah, so we have 
Ishimori defeating Master Roto in 11 minutes in a fun, very fast-paced junior uh, title match, one of the better, I didn't say, the fun junior singles match, where one of the better ones that Master Waters ever had. Uh, Kenta and Hanashi Kenta lost, even though he was going into a match with a strong open-weight title at Battle in the Valley, but I think when he had the announcement later on about Tanahashi's plans for Battle in the Valley, it made more sense. House of Torture finally... They finally, it has felt longer that they failed those belts than they probably have. But they suddenly found the belts and uh, the team now known as Strong Style, Ren Narita, El Desperado and Natsuki uh, captured the titles. Hikuleo defeats Daylight in a moment that made Grammy Robbie and countless others cry. And then in the semi-main spot we had Tamatonga having a successful first defence, which is better than his last reign already, never title over El Fantasma in 27 minutes. Oof, there's a, there's a lot to delve into there, and I know, Grant, you have a lot of thoughts. Right. First of all, Jay never should have lost. It's New J-Pan. It is the Jay White show. He was carrying that company, and then Tolokada came and fucked it over. Now Jay White is going to, going to probably go to somewhere else, and I am not happy. Gato, you son of a bitch. You clearly did not pay him enough. Fair play to Hikuleo. He had a good match. He looked strong. But this is not fair. This is not fair. Who takes over Bullet Club now? Bastards. And I've been listening to a lot of other people who have been talking about this. And I think I got myself worked up about it, hoping that there was going to be some sort of big angle. Because like when they, the way they perfectly set up G, they only been written out of, of New Japan and Bullet Club itself. You think, okay. Who's going to step up to take, you know, who's going to do to him what Kenny did to AJ back in 2016? But the front runners obviously being El Fantasmo and Kenta. They're thinking, oh, House of Torture lose their belt for that space. If everyone else gets a win and they kick out Jay, like, look, it's going to be stronger from their one. Or like, so Kenta or ELP take the reign. Nope, nothing happened. ELP lost this match. I think the only reason they never title was even in. The semi-main event spot at the beginning was it's because it was a title match. You know, which is probably the only reason it, it, it was the only reason for that. Uh, it was a solid match. Probably didn't need to be 27 minutes. Uh, it, it was very sad. I mean, it was a very poetic moment with, with Jay doing the, the two sweet to Hikaleo as he was you know, about to be chosen, knowing that he was that he was done. And, you know, it was a great match for Hikaleo, probably his best match so far as well. And the only issue with Hikaleo being the one he beat Jay, I know the swelling into this point could have made sense as to why they were having this match, but I just don't know if Hikaleo in the long term will be able to capitalise on this. Like, I don't see Hikaleo as an IWGP heavyweight champion. Like, I see him as a tag team champion. I see him maybe as a never champion as well, like, like his brother, but. I don't know, like, this feels like something you give to a spot you give to someone like the person that maybe confronted you after his match in Battle of Valley, someone who, in the long term, you can build New Japan around. I can't see a future where New Japan is centred around Hikaleo. No, no, this this really bamboozles me in the back of this because big win for Hikaleo. And I'm not going to talk about the whole brackets or everyone that's in, but on the New Japan Cup brackets, where the fuck is Hikaleo? Where is he? Where has he went? He's not here. What the fuck is that all about? Why would you have him beat Jay White to get kicked Jay White out of Japan over to America and then not have him in the New Japan Cup? 
but you'll have some other people who I'll get very angry about later. What the <laughs> fuck? I know. Again, it's not just that Jay lost. I think we all could see it coming the way they the way they announced this. He, he's only just recently turned thirty, so he's still got plenty of his school, which is probably why he's maybe making it, thinking of making the jump to uh, places where the place where he's more likely going. But I think it's the fact that you clearly must have known before wrestling that Jay was was leaving when on his way out because his contract was like to like the midpoint of January, like start of February. So you knew he was he was his contract was cut. You knew he was probably leaving. So you had the time to set up someone else in Bullet Club, or even bring someone new into the faction who says I'm taking charge of this group now, and you you didn't do it. So the fact that you've like left Bullet Club, when you're like, what the fuck do we do now? Like, because your your other possible candidates is one of them had a, had a win at Battle in the Valley, but like on the same night, Kenta lost. Evil, who some people at one point during the pandemic thought was somehow the leader, even though he wasn't, lost along with his group. ELP lost. So Bullet Club and Dole, other than Ishimori, are of all made been made to look like fannies. So having said that, remind an Ishimori-led Bullet Club. I mean, remember, like Evil and that already looked like fannies anyway, and at least the new trios, the, like the new six-man tag champions, are a legitimate hard bastard squad. Uh, I'm wondering about this like strong style group because I really feel like I've heard a lot of people say this and I agree that it feels like this group is centered around the relationship between Suzuki and Narita and I really feel for El Desperado because I'm wondering what where does he what does he get out of this group he's he's just sticking by Suzuki because I thought when he, much like exactly what Junior's done with the TV belt I thought when Suzuki broke up that El Desperado would strike out he's always maybe this would be. I mean, it could still could be the year that he wins the Super Junior, but I always thought maybe they're going to tease him. They're not the heavy because we've already seen them like challenge for the Never Belt before back with Jingle was champion. So I'll be interested to see how Desperado kind of goes from here as part of this trio. But I definitely think about Desperado. If this is is not the year you give him the the Super Juniors, and I say just move him up to heavyweight because I think other than the Junior, the Super Juniors when he's done everything he can as heavyweight. That's it. El Desperado is, and you know, for so long, he just brought nothing but class to the juniors. He he helped when Hiromu was injured. He carried a lot of things. To me, he never got quite the proper due that he was. He should have been given. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's nice to see a title on him again. As long as there's going to be some sort of proper defenses with this, it would be quite interesting to see. But at the same time, I'm like, he could be doing so much more. There's there's bigger things for Desperado out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. One thing I did like about the Tanahashi match, Kenta, is they mentioned that Okada, back in the, way back in their first match when Okada won the title back in 2012, he knocked two of Okada, he, he knocked Tanahashi's two front teeth out. And so Tanahashi wears this like plate of the like false teeth at the front. And then the morning, the hotel, he took a bite of like a protein bar and the, two, the teeth came out. So they were loose in the match. They get knocked out, and there's a point where he's got he's been put a submission, and Kenta kind of holds open Tanashi's mouth, so you can just see this big gaping hole at the front of his mouth. It's just horrible. It's like why, <laughs> why? Because he's a bastard. That's why. <laughs> yeah, I remember thinking, what the hell is this match even happened? But I think it's they explained it's a case of Kenda still remembers how Tanashi fucked him up. 
uh, Wrestle Kingdom 16 and that no DQ match. So Kenta has not forgotten. Uh, but sadly, Kenta didn't get the win. But let's talk about the Never title match. You know, 27 minutes, as I said, maybe didn't need to be that long. But it was one hell of a show, and I'm sad that ELP didn't get the win. They did tell a good story of these being two guys who use a lot of shenanigans trying to just win it straight up. Get them going into the crowd or in the commentary table. We had ELP hitting out moonsaults and all sorts. Uh, like when he, I keep forgetting he's got that new like CR3 thing where he basically just drops you on your fucking head. I thought that was going to be a hit CR2. Styles clash, like they made you, they gave every turn. It felt like they made you think that that ELP was going to win. That's it's like ELP knows how to get the crowd reacting to him, and I I do love that that he likes to keep pulling out all the other like Bullet Club leaders finishers, and it's it's why it feels like he would be a fantastic person to take over from Jay. Mm-hmm. He's, he's just, he is, he, he knows what he's doing. He's total class. Well, I take for Tamatonga to have two never title reigns so close together that ended up like one defence. And you can't be really really mad at the finish because he hits the gunstone and then finishes them off with the uh, the J trilogy, Briscoe's old finisher, the uh, double under pile driver. So you can't really be mad in that sense. So let's see where they go from here. I, in your. If you had to guess, what do you think the future holds for Bullet Club? Because like this was an opportunity much like you remember like wrestling Dontaku last year. Like I know we didn't really want Chase and Fally to be champions, but you remember like Bullet Club won pretty much most of their matches. They added new members. Uh, they either won titles or they were challenged. They set up being challengers for for other ones, which they eventually won at Dominion. Like that was a night where they remembered. Oh yeah, Bullet Club is still around. Bullet Club still means fucking business. And I figured this was going to be a night like that where we'd be reminded, like, Jay may be going, but, like, this is a new version of Bullet Club. We keep evolving. Like, we're going to keep on going. These are the main players now in the club. But they didn't do that. So what do you think the club goes from here? This is honestly probably the first time in a long time where I honestly don't know where Bullet Club's going. Like, there, as you say, there's, there's no one being built up properly to kind of take over in the back of things. The club's kind of like star power is definitely diminished compared to what it used to be, despite being a very heavily loaded faction of guys. It's it, it needs a reinvention. It needs something big to keep the wheels turning. Because right now the wheels are going all over the place like the wonky shopping trolley at Tesco. <laughs> I know. Like wrestling on Taku this year all marked ten years of Bullet Club. So you really need to do something now to keep them looking strong going into that big anniversary. Because you've got now left Kenta, ELP, you know, you got your sadly you got House of Torture, you got Bay and Ace Austin. But we look at the guys who are there regular in Japan are like get the that group is like getting smaller. And we were talking about the other day, just for Robinson May's presence on it at Battle in the Valley as a member of Bullet Club. And I, and we both honestly forgot he was even in Bullet Club to begin with. It's like, hang on, where the fuck do you come from? Like, but he had the whole thing with the US title. Had a really shocking run of it in the G1 where he thought he was set up to be like a favourite in that block. He, he didn't get, I don't think he even gets a proper rematch with Will Osprey. As a couple of shows in the US said, then says, I no longer represent New Japan or whatever. And then 
I, I, I remember there being a graphic of him being all elite. So maybe he did sign with AEW and then he lost to Samoa Joe in a TV title match at Final Battle last year. So if anything, up in the first couple of weeks of him being in Phillips Club, you know, when he beat up Tanahashi, won the TV, won the US title, they had to give it up. That was his best period because since then it's been all downhill for Juice Robinson. That's it, Elliot. And, and let's never forget the nickname Rock Hard Juice Robinson. <laughs> Rock Hard Juice Robinson. Oh. So, God knows what's going to happen with Bullock. They really need to shift out House of Torture and really get some new get some new blood involved. That's why I think. Definitely. And there's plenty of talent out there in the world that would be ripe for going in. So send us your thoughts, people. Yeah, send us your thoughts. Let us know. That's the fact retreat. But then we go to the main event uh, in 32 minutes, seven seconds. Kazutsuka Okada retains the IWGP Heavyweight Championship against Shingo Takagi. And I'm actually, honestly, I tried not to get my hopes up because I knew it wasn't going to be Shingo's moment. But you know, for a 30 minute match, it did not feel like that. It was, they packed a lot in. There was like, there was a, a video going around on Twitter, which it's just like a, a solid three minutes or so of them just properly like throwing everything, like working stuff, and then some. Like the fact that there was a moment where Jingle gets hit with a Raymaker and doesn't budge. Like I just let like, oh, like he's he's not taking any more of your shit. That's it. Like, I think we all kind of knew Okada wasn't dropping, but it was a case of can they match what they've given before? Because I honestly don't think these two have had a bad match, and lo and behold, was not a bad match. Absolutely not. Uh, the fact that he carried a, a money clip into a Last of the Dragon, and if he'd only been able to stay there and hook the leg, he probably would have won it that moment. That really gets like, oh no, he can't pin him. And then he sent him with the, the bloody. It was a hell of a show. I mean, I still think that his clotheslines are way better than Okada's clothesline, even though his sh- shingle uses his clothesline as a setup, maybe Okada's as a finisher, but that's that's by the by. Okada eventually, with the Raymaker, puts away Okada, uh, shingle, but you know, it's nice to see it when Okada properly earns a victory like this, where you know his opponent makes him work for it. Yeah, and like as as you're saying about the clotheslines and the lariats, like Shingo's do look better, and I think it also helps the fact that Shingo's like upper half of his body is built like a fucking brick shit house. Like he actually makes Okada look kind of small with his big fucking massive arms when he goes for things like the pumping bomber. Pretty sure it's borderline concussing people with that. Yeah, and uh, Okada gets on the microphone after the match. And we knew that it was going to be an IWGP heavyweight title match at Battle in the Valley, but of course they didn't announce anything because they don't want to give away the result of they don't want to like because obviously we had to get through this match, so they didn't want to you know give anything away. And so kind of gets on the microphone come out and challenge him, or even going to have Kiyomiya come out to set up that match. I know which the guy said he wasn't going to do. And so he gets to the microphone and looks over at the commentary where Tanahashi's sitting with a Japanese commentary and then challenges Tanahashi for one more shot in the US. The last time like, they fought in the US, one-on-one was a, a G1 final, well, like the final match of a, the first day of G1 in 2019 when they were in Dallas. 
in a venue that was far too big for New Japan at that point. Uh, and so he, he says to him, like, come meet me at Battle in the Valley and fight like this was your last title shot because against me. And so, you know, and Tanahashi says back to him, well, you know, I shocked, you shocked me 12, back in 2012, maybe I'll be the one who shocked you in San Jose. All fine set up. Doesn't distract from the fact that it's still Okada versus Tanahashi for the millionth time. This is, this is your John Cena, Randy Orton rivalry. This is your, it's never going to end till one of them retires or dies. This is why you, people should stop chanting fight forever at wrestling shows because eventually they will do that and you'll hate it. No, there's no, there's very few feuds that you'll actually enjoy seeing them fight forever. So it's like, no matter how much we think it, doesn't mean they should do it. Yeah. See, see, see what you did? You wanted this. You asked them to fight forever, and now they have, and now it will never, ever end. And I haven't said that, though. I mean, they haven't actually, I don't, I don't remember them ever actually having a singles match since that, that show in Dallas. So, to be fair, I mean, at least they've given some some distance between the two. So, I don't know if I was annoyed about it at the time as, as you were, but like, I did hope for something a bit more original. Like somebody you knew who wasn't going to win that, or somebody who's more you know, like the US audience to challenge him. Like there was rumours of Lance Archer and everything. But instead they went, ah, let's take this match we've done a million times in Japan. But we've only ever done once in the US, so it's still fresh over there. Yeah, it's it's perfectly okay though. You know, Lance Archer has not laced up his boots for about 54 days, by not, not even by his own choice. But don't worry, we've got it covered. He is coming to Sheffield and Stevenage, people. This is not a drill. <laughs> oh, Sheffield is not ready for someone like Lance Archer. I don't think the people <laughs> of Sheffield are ready. Someone as tall as Lance Archer, he's going to have people staring at him like he's Godzilla as he walks through the streets. <laughs> it's like, holy fuck, it's Godzilla. <laughs> it looks like Godzilla, but due to copyright, it's not. <laughs> no, there's a reference for you, but so there's that's the the match. But between then, we kind of made a quick stop the next night uh, for pro wrestling. Noah as shortly after Kiyomiya retained over Scotland's own Jack Morris a GHC heavyweight title. Okada just then snuck in, hits a rainmaker, and went, "Oh, you want a match with me? You need to say please, Mister Okada, if you want a match with me. I fuck, I'll fight you at the Tokyo Dome. You didn't say fuck it, but that was the overall tone I got from it." And this this is the interesting thing. It's like Okada in New Japan feels a bit bland. Feels a bit beige. A bit like looking at looking at your at your favourite Chinese on a Sunday. It's not bad. You enjoy it, but sometimes you want more. Then we get Okada and Noah, absolute top class shit house dickhead. I love it. <laughs> I know. You look at him and Noah, and you think, why can't you be like that? You're like, why do we insist on me keeping you? when you keep failing to hide the fact that you're a dickhead. Uh, so just, just just, embrace it. Be a dickhead. Run with it. <laughs> Come to terms with it, Okada. Oh, we got <laughs> to Battle in the Valley. Uh, I didn't watch the pre-show, but uh, Alex Coughlin beat J.R. Kratos and Dewey Finley beat Bobby Where's the Lie Fish. 
Uh, I didn't watch it because I, well, I heard nothing but bad things about it because like, they had issues with the connection, like the YouTube stream wasn't working, and then there was a Lily on fight, and when I did get it, like there were audio issues, like they, you couldn't hear the commentary, the English commentary, and when I tried to watch it, even without the commentary, I got like a, I got like two minutes into the Alex Coughlin JR Kratos match, and like the weird echo, and every time like they hit the mat or like the crowd did something. Like, I'm fucking turning this off. I don't need to watch GR Creators wrestle that much that I'm willing to sit through this. That's it. It's, it's completely, completely like just like, yeah, these are not matches that are selling the pre show to me. And Bobby Fish has completely fallen off the wagon into crazy tinfoil hatland. So I just do not need to see that man on my telly. Easy. I don't think there's ever. When was the last time there was such a sharp decline in fan perception for a for a wrestler than Bobby Fish since he left AEW? That's, I mean, he went off a Kyle to get to AEW. Everything was all right. Then there was injuries and stuff like that, and then he left. And lo and behold, he aged about three hundred years in the space of a week, and became everyone's not so favourite angry grandfather that you don't really want to come to family parties because he might be a little bit racist. He, he looks like, to me, he's always looked like, you know, every time you see a comedy where the main character's mum remarries and the guy's a dickhead, that's what Bobby Fisher means of, like that dickhead step that he's always going on about how the thing, that weird thing he's into, like in his case, MMA and all that, and keeps trying to get you to fight with him. <laughs> Oh, yeah. that's actually bang on the money. Bobby Fish is the dickhead step now. You've heard it here first. So yeah, then the main <laughs> show actually starts. You got as a joke about the start. Ian Rickabody and uh, Matt Raywalt start kicking us off on commentary. To start off with, we do have uh, Scott Demore joining them for the opening match because I do remember this eight man tag being a bit weird to at first, but then we did get the announcement of the joint New Japan Impact Wrestling Show. Over WrestleMania weekend, I believe it's going to be on the Friday, where it's going to be called Multiverse United, and one of those matches is going to be Kushida taking on Josh Alexander, and we keep specifying if Josh Alexander is still the champion by the time we get there, like you got no surrender where he's fighting Rich Swan, and then you got Sacrifice, like just before that, I think he's going to be the champion. I don't think we need to worry about that. So it's basically them both leading teams is a little bit of a preview match, so. You know, it, was a, it was a solid opening match, I thought, and I was glad that we didn't get many of these filler tie matches in the show. After this, it was all just, it was all something with a bit of stake. That's it. It was, it, it was, it was there. It served its purpose. I'll be honest, I don't really remember too much of it because it just was there. <laughs> yeah, it was just there. I remember Kevin Knight getting the win while Kishida got Josh Alexander in my hoverboard lock, so he couldn't break it up. Really try to like push Kevin Knight on Edward Japan Strong now. He's got this like jet gimmick. He's appeared with Kushida and Impact Wrestling. So it feels like they're kind of getting behind him as one of the next big guys, you know, following the footsteps of your Alex Coughlin's and your Clark Connors, you know, as an LA Dojo breakout. Also, the DKC finally got his character. He's apparently a graduate of Cobra Kai, judging by his attire. Oh, God. <laughs> He's just gonna. I want. I want to know film skits with him and Shibata, like, like the guys from Cobra Kai. Like, 
DKC, what do we always say? Strike first, strike hard. <laughs> she comes in as full of like black, like martial arts, get up, they are belt and everything. And they're like, oh, oh, I just thought, were you in fucking Cobra Kai? It's like, look, coming out in the full karate gear, you're just ripping off Mike Bailey, and he does it better and cooler. Did we talk about Multiverse United last time, or had it not been an inch yet? I, I can't remember. I don't. I, I we might. I don't think it had been announced yet, or we we found out like literally after, as is as is tradition. <laughs> yeah, because like the three main matches that have been announced are like Alexander Kishida, Mike Bailey v Will Osprey, and Moose versus Jeff Cobb. All of which I'm excited for for various reasons. And even though the title will probably be on the line, uh, the Kishida Alexander match, I really feel it like just by the names involved alone. That you really should close that show with with Bailey versus Osprey. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, basically like, ah, oh, here's two guys who couldn't stop having great matches in 2022. Let's ha- let's have them have a match in 2023 and just blow everyone's minds. That's it. That's like, like just just hook it to my veins. I that same mentality. Uh, Mike Bailey isn't done with uh, New Japan because they're apparently across the two nights of teams after No Surrender, which is this coming uh, Friday. On night one of the teams, as I said to you, they're going to have Kenta versus Mike Bailey. I sent it to Rossdale because I'm going to be watching No Surrender around his house. Uh, I said, we some of those matches, kicks, all of the kicks. Oh, God, those kicks. The sound. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're also on the on the actual no surrender itself. You got Kishida teaming with the machine guns against Kenta, Ace Austin, and Chris Bay. So I'm just looking forward to seeing Kenta and Impact Wrestling. And I'm looking, and I was happy to see him here against Fred Rosser in the second match. And about 16 minutes, and well, I thought it was a really solid uh, match. They even went to the crowd at one point as well. Kenta was definitely sending a couple of shots up to Mr. Philip Brooks, who was apparently sitting in the media section uh, for the show. And uh, Joey even said a tweet, I heard my biggest fan was in the audience, but Kenta finally winning the strong openweight championship after a hell of a run from Fred Rosser. But this was also a moment where you remembered, oh yeah, just as in Bullet Club. Yeah, that's it. It's actually like, wait, 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 what? What is he doing? <laughs> he got a couple of reference in this match, which is rare for the New Japan show. And Godfrey did talk about how the first year of uh, New Japan Strong was mostly trying to defend that right to challenge briefcase for the US title. So when you think about it, Kent has been like the main guy on Strong since the beginning. So it's about time he was actually the champion of Strong, just as Strong's fucking ending. That's it. It's, it. It has been a very good reign for Rosser. It has been. But it was time. It was time. Kenta deserved to be a champion. You know, It's been too long since Kenta was a champion in New Japan, in my opinion. So he's got the strong open weight belt. We have no idea what's happening with those strong belts now that they're changing this new model. Like They'll be defended very rarely going forward. Maybe we'll see them popping up across other promotions like Maybe he'll defend against somebody at the the crossover show with new with a uh, impact wrestling. But I really enjoyed this, and 
although I was a bit annoyed and I remember talking to you about it, the fact that this was second on the card when you got two belts over it that are, are less than a year old, like less even than, less than six months old actually, when you think about the TV and the women's belt. Like I know given the people involved, that's why they were like over it, but putting this on freaking second, like you couldn't have at least swapped it with the strong tag belt because they're younger than this belt. That's it. it. It just feels like, you know, they, they've, built, they've done this whole, we're going to run America, we're going to do strong, we're going to make it a thing, we're going to give it its own title on that, and then boom, second match. Like, yeah. Beg your pardon? Yeah, like, they gave, they made this, like, the main, like, American show belt, but, like, wasn't that when the US belt was meant to be, but then they didn't have the US belt readily available to them, but then as soon as they got the US belt back, when they started running shows even before, I, even before this, like the US belt or whatever would like take precedence over this. So there'll be times where like the US belt or another New Japan belt would be defended on a US show and a strong belt wouldn't even be on the line. The, the strong champion would be in a fucking tag match or something. And like I think the guys on the Super J guys had this discussion. I really agree that a lot of the belts in New Japan have it weren't just for that purpose, but most of them don't have that purpose anymore or their purpose to move to another belt. And you'll get all these belts and like Okay, so why do we have this belt? What's this for? Wasn't that, well, isn't that what this thing's for? Because it's gotten to the point, I even made this analogy that this is becoming, the strong belt is becoming to New Japan what the ECW title was in the late 2000s in WWE. That's it. We, I'm pretty sure we had this conversation, and yes, you've got it bang on the money there. It is the ECW belt. That's pretty much what it is. And it's very like there was a whole thing over we're unifying the Intercontinental and heavyweight titles into one new belt. Uh, but then since then we've introduced the strong, strong tag team, TV, women's, and now the QB of what was a trophy now has a belt. So you get rid of, well, two, two, you turn two belts into one to lessen the number of, of titles you have. And then you, some reason you just can't stop introducing more belts like across all the continents. So when guys from Japan come over, the guys who would be on top of the US belt are being pushed further and further bloody down the card. So, yeah. How do we make it subtle? Do this. Yeah. <laughs> oh. so I don't know what the hell's happening with all these belts. Then we did have Risk Gross Wrecking Crew unsuccessfully challenging the more same machine guns for their strong tag titles. I don't have as much to say about this. It was a solid time when you've got the machine guns involved. And it was fine. I don't have anything else to say about it. It it was there. It was fine. Like like Motor City Machine Guns matches are always genuinely good, but it was under ten minutes. It was really just like solidifying their reign. But other than that, nothing like mega special to write home about. Yeah, I have a feeling they'll hold on to both sets of belts that they've got because they're also the Impact Tag Champs, and maybe do some sort of big double title defense at the Multiverse United show. But then we get into a match which I'm surprised was like fucking forced on the card. Like I don't know why this wasn't just like below the uh, the women's match and in terms of like placing on the card. You had Jay White taking on Eddie Kingston. And just I didn't I expected like Jay White to phase out of the US but in New Japan because he said in his post match comments where he like, well my my mission over in the US isn't done just yet. I can still compete for strong, and then he and Eddie Kingston have a meeting, like or both like on a on a call for like the Wrestling Observer on an episode of that, and then 
any kinds of plots. Okay, how about if you win, like, since you're already on your way out, why don't we have this match? And when you lose, you never wrestle for New Japan again. And so Jay then puts on, like, why don't we make it if you lose, then you need to, you can never wrestle New Japan. If you want to wrestle any New Japan wrestlers, you need to ask my permission first. Well, like, even when this, when this was announced, like, oh, now this is a losing New Japan in general. And it's like, well, I wonder who's going to win this. Just no. No. As soon as I seen it, I fucking knew it was going to happen. I was like, oh, you bastards. You already hurt, broke my heart once. But no, twice in a fucking month. I know. They they killed your they killed your dog, then they then they dug him up, put him back to life, and then killed him again. They fucking did, absolute <laughs> bastards. And again, again, it was like another fantastic match. But no, that result, no. I would like to very much invite, invent time travel and go back to sort this travesty, even if it could undo the entire fabric of the universe. I mean, this was definitely a, a far better match than the one against Sicilio, in my opinion. You know, you had, like, the constant back fist just knocking of in jail, looking all loopy, and all, like, he's really good at selling, like, like he's, like, a lot out on his feet, and it's like, and he just throwing everything at him to finally get, keep him down. And Matthew Weirwalt sounding as, as upset as you are right now when the three-count finally happened. Uh, he did try to offer him respect before he finished him off, but Jay just spat in his face as is his want. No, going out fine until he ended up always being a bastard. I love that. Just the utter show of disrespect. It's like, yep, I know I'm going to lose. You've rattled fuck at me, but guess what? <sighs> fuck you. Do it. <laughs> and, you know, and before we talk about the post match, you know, Let's talk about where Jay was going because he could still do New Japan's US shows if he was like going to go AEW or he, he probably didn't need to leave Japan at all if he was going to go to like Impact or whatever. Like, I could see him maybe want to go more full time in the US and like why be across like AEW and Ring of Honor like he's a player for both of those companies under Tony Khan so maybe he wants to step away from New Japan because he thinks he's done everything there. But, but the fact that he's led New Japan altogether. And given that EW has already has a great relationship with New Japan, I don't think uh, they would like want to like not do New Japan at all. So, obviously, every bit of evidence points to he's going to WWE. It feels like the most obvious place for him to go, and I'm not going to pretend that that I can see him going anywhere else because I really can't. He's done everything in New Japan, and the AEW, as you pointed out, the AEW relationship makes it kind of awkward. It's like, oh yeah, we can bring you in, but when we do forbidden door and stuff like that, yeah, you're not, you are not you can't do anything. Sorry. So it's just like, it feels like that. As long as they don't do a Carl Fredericks to him with the name. Mm. Oh, that fucking... I mean, Carl Fredericks, as I said, he was already a shit name. Like, it's very much a boring office worker kind of name. And then he shows up on HD level up as Eddie Thorpe, which sounds like a England football player, like and not a good one either. Like one who doesn't even get is it on the bench during every major tournament. I just love saying that. Just like look, remember it's one of our LA like young lions. Look what he's what he's doing. 
he's he's fucking shaved his head as well, and somehow he he looks weirder with his head shaved. Because I always thought he's a bit weird looking, Clark Connors, but somehow he looks worse with his head shaven. That's it. It's I'm I'm always really surprised, like because you know it looked like he was kind of getting bigged up to be the big young lion, the one that was going to do the best from LA, and the ball was dropped massively. Like, didn't they have him win the like, New Japan, like the Young Lions Cup over in Japan, like pre-lockdown and everything? So, like they were building up guys like Clark Connors and everything, but I always felt like they'd like position Clark Connors as like number two to Fredericks. And so I think, so like since he's left, you've you, you noticed also like Clark Connors' stock start to rise, you know, we're going to talk about having a major match in a minute. So, you know, clear that he's now been given the push that they were hoping for Fredericks That's it. it's definitely been a, a, an interesting one that uh, but you know enough about Eddie Thorpe I, 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 I want to get angry again about what happened after the Jay White match <laughs> talk about Jay for a second like, I thought for a second, like, the only reason I'd think he was going W over WWE is he wants to go more full time on a US company and I think He'd also be a guy they could use across as a top heel across both AEW and Ring of Honor. And then I suddenly fancy about the thing in my mind where like I would have loved it if he went to AEW and also showed up in Ring of Honor and like he was the guy who beat Claudio for the Ring of Honor world title. So like he could appear regularly enough to be a presence on AEW, but like you could build Ring of Honor around him as the top heel. And it, it would have worked because I mean it, that when he was on excursion. Ring of Honor is where he was, and I remember watching him against Osprey years ago, one of his last matches before he finished up his excursion. In fact, it might have been his last match, and it was it was impressive. So that would be quite full circle. Almost, he went to Ring of Honor, he came back to New Japan, he ran the rule there, then he comes back from Japan and goes back to Ring of Honor and runs the rule there. That would have been really cool. Yeah, because like you had Ian Rickabon on Corey who keeps talking about how he uh, he. Like we saw a young Jay White during his excursion, and now he was almost kind of emotional when when he was watching watching Jay White having to like leave, and everybody was chatting, "Thank you, Jay," and everything. But you know, it, it does feel like WWE is the goal, is the place he's going, because you know Triple H in the past has wanted him, and there was all the, the last few years every time like wrestling comes to an end and he's not doing anything. And he's not like, like he's not the champion. It's like okay, is Jay White going to do? Is this the point where he goes to WWE? But then there was a story coming out that oh, WWE is prioritizing another top free agent over getting Jay White. But they have some people have written up creative plans for Jay White. So they said like other free agent over Jay White, and I'm like the only person I could think of that you'd want that badly is Kota Ibushi. Yeah, I've seen some people say, uh, like. Dick Aldis, but I don't think Nick Aldis is somebody they'd want as badly as a Bushy or Jay White. But like, yeah, Bushy's another one who they supposedly have written up creative plans for. But you know, it'd be interesting to see where they go. Would they, would they have Jay White show up in NXT, or would he be someone who goes straight to the main roster? I mean, I know you'd want to go straight to the main roster, but I don't know how they would. What the rule, rule, what the thinking is now because when. Triple H, even though a lot of guys didn't need to be in NXT, he wanted to bring his new top indie guys through NXT first so they could get some good booking. Uh, 
but you know, now that Shawn Michaels is running NXT and Trump is running everything else, I don't know where Jay White would go uh, when he comes in. I would see Jay White going in if they're not going to pull the trigger and put a main event like AJ Styles style of introducing them. I could easily see him being like a post mania, maybe go straight in for the IC belt. I've seen a lot of people say that like they fight. Well, I've seen some people pitch the idea of like Cena beating Theory for the US belt at Mania, but then losing it almost immediately to to Jay White. Because like you saw how quickly he won the IWGP US belt when he when he, when he started off properly in New Japan as the switchblade, so like a kind of parallel to that. You know, Abushi is someone I'd find it harder to believe going to WWE because. Jay White seems more like a guy who would fit into the WWE style of like promos and everything, and uh, like he's got a clear character. But Bushy, even he gave an interview when he was asked, well, "Would you want to wrestle for AEW?" And like, I'd like to I'd wrestle for AEW one week a month until my wrestling school is is fully sorted. Yeah, let's like, you know what? Make it ham. Just whatever WWE does with Jay White, it needs to be big right from the get go. Mm-hmm. So after he loses, it looks like he's gonna have like this big farewell pro like Eddie Kingston, like you know if the three happens, he gets right the fuck out of there. He rolls out, he's halfway up the ramp for the referee can even realise what's happening. And so he Jay goes to like cut a promo, but then immediately he's attacked by by David Finlay with a shillelagh. And he's dressed in all black, which lets you know he's a bad guy now. And he just comes out and is just running down JY he said fuck you Erna. fuck all of you for making me feel like an outsider wherever I go in America I'm Irish I'm, I'm American when I go to Ireland and <laughs> no matter what in Japan I'm just a gaijin and he basically says I'm not waiting anymore I'm taking what I want and uh, yeah basically you know he's old basically says fuck you to his old rivalry before he leaves <laughs> uh, it's a new character for I think there was some confusion here because I saw some people who made the mistake in thinking that David Finlay, this was David Finlay taking over like Bullet Club as the new leader. I mean, I would like for that. I would have been cool if that was the case, but I don't think that's what this was. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't to me come across as like having taken over Bullet Club because it wasn't like normally when that happens, there is some kind of big passing of the torch. To me, it was just David Finlay just. Being a dick, ruining yeah. Jay's moment. Like, what, a, what a dick! I mean, I wouldn't. I could. I'm not saying he won't eventually join Bullet Club after this, because you know, it would. This new character, he would sit in Bullet Club, and I don't think he's not even. He's not really got any like ties to a faction. So he's. It'd be interesting if he like say to join Bullet Club, or maybe just go as a loner. Throughout New Japan with this new attitude of his, but there's the there's the possibility if he rejoins Bullet Club now that we remembered that Juice is a is in Bullet Club, we can now get like a heel version of Finn Juice. Okay, now now that that slightly intrigues me. <laughs> like, I I would not mind seeing a bastard version of Finn Juice because let's face it, they were a fantastic tag team. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, they were great. <laughs> And after that, we have like three big title. Oh, I almost skipped over the the filthy rules match 
which I wasn't <laughs> sure what to expect. And this was a a violent affair. Like I loved like when commentators try and justify why certain things are under the ring. Like Ian Rickaby says, "Oh, that ladder that's under the ring, big case with an issue with the lighting rig." And then he pulls out a candle, uh, candlestick, and he gets doubles and. Uh, uh, was like, I think we're past the point where we can explain why these things are under the ring. That's like, I didn't know what to expect with this match either because I was just like, it feels very out of place on the card. It, it just, like, I mean, weird. thankfully they kind of put it right in the middle of things, but it was just, I, I, I still don't know to this point what I actually thought of that match. I'm still in two minds on it. Like, like the no votes thing, like the legit fighting style of it, and John Moore coming out with the MMA gloves on. You know, it's like blood sport meets like something you'd seen like CZW or GCW, something like that. So it's a mixture of like two different styles. Got bloody homicide, banging out a fork like he's fucking a duel the butcher at one point. But then John Wall eventually wins, you know, his name's in the title of the match. So of course he was going to win with a big knee to the back and like he chokes out. Uh, homicide, but you know, homicide gets the last laugh by giving a big middle finger to everybody as he's passing out. That's it, you know, good, good old classy way to go out. The good old uh, fuck you all, good night. <laughs> fuck you and good night. <laughs> uh, yeah, the NGPW TV Championship match with Clark Connors. Losing his active junior in 14 minutes and 6 seconds, so no draws still in the era of the TV title. You know, Clark did his best. You know, he tried to, like, the submission game with Zach, but he was never going to win that one. Uh, I just love, like, there was a quick transition, and then he just pulled back on the arm, and much like Renuia, like, he still like, way his shoulder was bending, like, Clark, like, immediately tap out, immediately tap out. And, like, I know... We didn't think that Ishii was going to win as as attempt either because it was the first defense. But somehow I believed Ishii more than I believed Clark Connors. I mean, it's because Clark Connors isn't like the first article yet. Yeah, that's silly. Clark Connors. It was it was a, it was a good showing for him. Um, him and ZSJ have got a nice little bit of history, a little bit of fun there. Um, ZSJ possibly already cutting promo of the year at the press conference before it when he decided to cut a promo in American. <laughs> You know, like, they're still in my Japanese, but my American's not so good. It's just, it's just it's like, it's like oh, you know, I lived in Japan on and off for the last 11 years, and I made the effort with Japanese, so I feel it's only fair I do it for the Americans, so... <clears throat> howdy, howdy, yeehaw, good morning, yay America! <laughs> I was like, yep, yeah, this is already promo of the year. 30 seconds, doesn't need any more, perfect. Perfect. And so he, he gets the quick win and then he's immediately challenged by another young lion in Kevin Knight. Uh, I have this theory about Kevin Knight. I legit think at some point him and Kushida are going to win those strong uh, open weight tag titles. They're going to have a, like, Kushida's going to get the win for the team. They're going to have like a short run. And right before he goes on, he's like proper excursion. Kevin Knight's going to be the one that gets spinned. He's going to blame himself and he's going to go on this, this journey of self-discovery. And it will be magnificent. It just feels like they've like, they got Clark Connors. They've also got like Coughlin and and Keeper because they just figured out what they're going to do with them. But then all of a sudden, Kevin A after the Super Junior title, they just were like, right, we're all in on this one. Like, no, go, just go in, all in. 
So that we have that right. And then I know we've we've poked a bit of fun with the you know many kind of thing. Many. Many. But I I will say that probably my favourite match of the whole show was the IWGP women's title match. It was it was always never in doubt, but it was absolutely sensational to watch. Like I think they they nearly went thirty minutes. It was why like I know there was some disappointment. Twenty six minutes they went. It was like twenty six and a half minutes. There was some disappointment when they weren't the main event, but they were the reason this venue was as sold out as it was. This is the most sold out New Japan's like done uh, for a year show in a, quite a while, and these two just went right at it. They, they we even had a ref bump and then a table spot on the outside where. <laughs> The commentary had a really great line. Was the stock in money industries has just went down? <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, let's face it. Like after the the promo at Wrestle Kingdom and that, people were still hyped for the match. But let's face it, the promo and that kind of botched move at Wrestle Kingdom did not set a good start to things. No. However, the match itself, fucking wow. 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 I know. What else can you say? Mercedes came out with gear as a tribute to the late Hannah Kimura. So now that was a nice touch. And then she wears, wears this gear as a tribute and then proceeds to act like the heel during the match. Like the story being that she decided just to come in and win easily. And then when Kyrie won't stay down, she starts throwing a fit, like ripping the feathery bit, like fluffy bits off her, but it's just throwing them out like, no. Why won't you stay down? I said, like the, the two of them like, put everything in it, and you know, like I, I honestly, it's just I was really surprised all expectations I had for this match, and just showed like like Mercedes Sasha, whatever you want to call her, she she has really flew with what she's given and went in for it, and also to finally see the finisher getting hit. It looks awkward. It looks like it, it, it's going to be a case of if it's hit right like it was there, it's fucking beautiful. But I do get the feeling that if it goes wrong, it's going to look absolutely shit. It's going to be a very... She's going to have to work on that finisher a lot to make sure it's perfect every time. But if she does, good lord. I don't think it's a finisher she can hit like, all the time like on people, but I think she's like, looking for something outside of the, like, the bank statement or whatever she's going to call it going forward. But... you know, The, ma- the money clip... Oh wait, Okada's got that. Should be speaking oh. to Okada about that. Yeah. Well, I'll get to that. But we got like she's just like a more sudden impact style move that she can hit on like all our points, which is why I constantly go back to the same finisher. But I like that we had some tributes. And it's like she she was doing the three amigos. She did. She went for the frog splash, but Kyrie got the knees up, and she even hit a belly to belly, which I think got one of the biggest reactions of the entire match. I love the fact she done that and Bailey was in the crowd watching. Well, Bailey is from San Jose, and he had Matt Raywall talking about how much he, how long he's known Mercedes for, and thought that she got signed to WWE when he's only had it like a lot of experience. So it's kind of her living out her dream of finally getting to come to places like New Japan and wrestle. And with the hell of a show, like they're both like, the back fists from Kyrie. But then she went for an elbow. Mercedes didn't get her knees up. She just stuck her feet up in the air. I know. That was an interesting approach. It's like, nah, nah, knees overdone. I value my knees. Feet, there you go. Eat them. 
eventually, yeah, you said like it was a quick scene, and then, then she hits that move finally, and then gets the win. A bit of respect afterwards. I, I look forward to the inevitable rematch because it will be something to behold. Mercedes, you can tell how much it means to her. And a uh, recent press conference, Stardom wrestler AZM has uh, already challenged Mercedes to her first match. So I assume that will happen at a Stardom like branded event because uh, I don't think we'll see this until maybe the next US show or maybe like something like Dominion on a, in a New Japan ring. That's it. It's going to be interesting to see how they how they handle this going forward. Because, like, like you said, this was like the match. I think people were a lot most tight for. Like, it's a match to help sell out the venue. Even when they did the opening bit with their video package was running in the card, you could actually hear in the arena a reaction when that match was showing up on screen. Like, so people were hyped for it, but they were also hyped for uh, this main event of Okada Tanahashi. 21 minutes, Okada gets the win and what was basically, I could describe as these two hitting out their greatest hits. That's it. Doing doing their greatest hits and keeping it a little bit more trim than usual with the runtime, thank God. Because I would yeah. not have welcomed this match going for like 30 plus minutes. Would not have liked that. Not at all. Uh, yeah, yeah, 10 hours, you're hitting a high fly flow to the outside. Uh, Tanashi goes for the high five low, but Okada hits a drop kick right to the stomach. I mean, you can't deny that fucking drop kick. He hits the Insigiri, the Inoki style one, and then the Rainmaker for the win. He starts, I forget that he can actually speak a lot of English until he has one of these shows. It's always weird to hear Okada talking in English. That's it, because it, he is actually quite good with his English. He's not, he's not I like a bad English promo. Um, despite it not being his first language, so you know it's it, it's it's interesting, and obviously, like it was, you then had like the the post match promo and stuff like that. So it's and you know an interesting team up. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he first says he wants uh, to team with Tanashi and uh, become the dream team, and he says we should go after the IWGP tag team titles. Like, uh, okay, okay then. Uh, and then it's all of a sudden Mercedes money comes back out and like thanks the crowd and then says like what about us being a dream team like you like to make it rain I'm all about the money so basically I think they're setting up that by the way next time there's a historic crossover this is going to be a team I mean personally I think they should have made this a team for what something else that we're going to be talking about soon (laughs) really what they should be uh, really what they should be we should do next thing they are the historic crossover they should have these two as a team and their team to be team no jobs because if these two are on the same team are they fuck losing that's it that is not fucking happening that is, that is like as soon as you see like you're looking at the card list going who am I booked against oh fuck <laughs> like I'm at any team at any point in the 80s that has Hulk Hogan involved in it and asking who's going to win this match like uh Suggesting that these two team together in a match that they're going to lose, you'll be you'll be laughed out of the building, you'll be laughed out of Japan, out of the wrestling business entirely. Honestly, anyway, yeah, that, that was Bat in the Valley, solid enough, uh, really solid show for like the US market. Even though I think they really should have had the women's match go on last, but I kind of wasn't done there because just a few days later, he has just enough energy. 
to just absolutely walk through the GHC heavyweight champion uh, Kaido Kiyomiya in a Noah ring in the Tokyo Dome. Not the main event, which was a rarity for Okada in the Dome, but just walks through the GHC heavyweight champion in just 15 minutes. What absolute shitbaggery of Okada. I know, and like the fact that he breaks out a Rainmaker, then an Emerald Flosion, then another Rainmaker. Like, just it, and it's like, are we going to go for 30 minutes? No. 25? No. 15? Now we're talking, son. I know. What if, what if we go for a draw where so neither of us really lose? Nope. And, like, suggesting that Kiyomiya beat Okada was probably never going to be a decision that happened. But then, I think Gajo and Ishimori had a tie match against some Noah guys. I think one of them was retiring, and they won. Tanahashi, Hiromu uh, Takahashi, and a junior heavyweight champ, junior heavyweight champ match got the win. And then, before he did challenge, he did uh, challenge, I forget the name of the junior heavyweight champion, it's not in front of me, but he did challenge him to a uh, match for his title. Like later on down lines, and maybe we'll see that at, at uh, the Super Junior like festival he's doing. And then, buddy, Okada beats the heavyweight champ. So New Japan just walked into Noah's house and shat on their rug, and then walked back out again. Yep. And then you had Naito just decided, fuck it, old man Muta, he's got to get battered as well. And what was apparently an absolute banger, which is really yeah. surprising. I think it only happened like today, like a time we're talking about half, but we heard about it early on this morning because of the time difference, so neither of us had a chance to watch it. And then apparently Moore then just has a weird semi match with a looking Masahiro Chono who wrestles in a suit while Tiger Tori is there refereeing it also in a suit. Like, you know, Naito called it. He was like, no way is this bastard retiring. It's like, yeah, see, last match, my arse. Absolute carny, honestly. Absolute fucking carny. <laughs> Night was right, he called it. Yeah, we do have uh, some stuff to preview. We have the New Japan anniversary event, which is weird that it's, it's, it happens the day after the first day of the New Japan Cup and does feature some New Japan Cup matches, but we'll come back to the New Japan Cup bracket in a minute. But let me run down, you down the card for this anniversary event, the 51st anniversary of New Japan Pro Wrestling. We've got Fujita and ZSJ representing TMDK taking on El Phantasm and Kento Bullet Club. we got Aussie Open back in uh, in Japan for the first time since the World Tag League. we got Aussie Open team with Will Ospreay against Tama, uh, Toriano and Kojima. we got House of Torture versus Strong Still in a non-title match. You got LIJ's Sanada, Naito, and Takagi taking on Jeff Cobb, Great Okan, and Hanari. And what's been billed as the anniversary junior heavyweights, the anniversary of a junior heavyweight special tag match, facing that three times. Leo Russian, you'll take on Bushi and Hiromu. And two New Japan Cup matches, first round, we got Shoto Umino versus Yujiro Takahashi and David Finley versus Tomohiro Ishii. And in the main event, it's the dream team of Okada and Tanahashi challenging Bishimon for the tag team titles. Yeah, that that that's the one that I love that Super J-Cast just pretty much went straight ahead and just went, so, um, 
Or Robbie Eagles. How did that one go down in the Chaos group chat? And it's like, they're cool with it. I still think they should have done Okada and Money. Against Bishamon. Imagine they've done that. Imagine they ran with that. I, I just want to see Mercedes try and get hit that weird finisher that she's got uh, on Buddy Yoshihashi. It might finally fix his facial he's expression. He's probably, he's probably sell it better than Kyrie. <laughs> it would be an impressive okay. one to see. <laughs> or if she had it on Goto, I would lose my mind. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's the the hell of a, a card for the hell of a card for the anniversary show. I mean, if it wasn't for the new Japan, I got Yujo would never be that high. Actually, I I realized like I thought like then I, I got confused. Like I thought like why is Yujo in the new Japan Cup match? Isn't he wrestling later on? Like oh no, it's Dick Togo taking his place. Never mind. Look, fuck sake! I can't, can't believe I forgot about Dick. How can anyone forget about Dick? I don't know. But it's good to see Aussie Open back because I know last week said there was this whole thing of having a contract and Mark Davis seemed to send it to me. It's just okay to say he was a bit frustrated at the lack of bookings maybe from New Japan that they've been. And then also in a graphic, they were randomly announced, oh yeah, by the way, in this, in this week's uh, tag team battle, Aussie Open are going to be in it for a shot at the EW tag belt site. Sorry, Aussie Open are fighting for the opportunity to fight the ass boys. No, this should be the other way around. I, I was like, hang on. Someone has got this fucking back to front. Who who the right. fuck booked this? I don't know. It's weird. I mean, I'm looking forward to the main event. We'd be sure that, although I can't help thinking, like, imagine FTR still had the belts and you had FTR versus Tanahashi and Okada. Oh my god, that would have been fucking unreal. <laughs> but now we must go to the New Japan Cup. One of the more, like one of the uh, tournaments I think I get most excited about every year. I know that obviously everybody thinks about the big ones like the G1 or Super Juniors, but I really like the unpredictability that you can get from from uh, New Japan Cup. You know, the single animation style makes it a little more unpredictable. Before I get to, that, I should mention on the March 11th. Uh, on the March 11th show for the New Japan Cup was also a random time match that was announced of the Dream Team again of Kada and Tanahashi, this time taking on uh, Shota, Umino and Ren Narita. <laughs> Surprise! I know, that kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, looking at things, we have got some interesting things ahead. <laughs> The, the tournament, as like I said, starts on the 5th of March with the anniversary show being on the 6th but there's some New Japan Cup matches on that car. It'll run up to the final, which will take place on the 21st of March. Uh, first, for most of, this, most of the tournament, at least basically for the first round, it's like, oh yeah, every day is about maybe two, maybe three matches in the tournament. Like, could we maybe fire through a bit quicker? I do not want to go through another tournament where you have to constantly skip through fucking all these undercard matches and then find it when I watch the singles match. Oh, well, you remember when these two had that tag match, so and so tried to attack his ankle, or I'm like, are oh, you telling me I need to watch all these fucking preview tags now? It's like, that is not fucking happening. I will be skipping the preview tags. I'll be reading on Twitter or anything interesting happens, but other than that, I'm not fucking watching them. I do not have that sort of time in my life. I know. 
let me run through the bracket quickly. We thankfully we don't have fifty people like we did last time. We're we're down to twenty four, which means some people do get buys, and I'll take you through them now. Tai Chi with the winner going on to the second one to fight Kenta, who's been given a buy. A uh, Naito taking on El Fantasmo, and the winner of that faces Chase Owens, who's got a buy. Like, Fucking boo! You got Ren Narita taking on Evil in the first round, and the winner of that goes to the second round to fight Jeff Cobb, who was given a bye. Toriano versus Mark Davis in the first round, and the winner of that first round match will go on to fight Will Osprey, who was given a bye. GSJ is being given a bye in the first round. He'll face the winner of Showtime over Yujiro Takahashi. The Great Okan, or Hill, has been given a bye, surely just for being such a shagger. Uh, and he'll fight the winner in the second round of David Finley v Tomohiro Ishii Tomatonga has been given a bye to the second round and he'll fight the winner of Shingo Takagi and Aaron Hanade and Hiroki Goto has been given the final bye and he will fight the winner of Yoshihashi versus Kyle Fletcher so quite a few buys, I mean most of the guys who have buys are champion one way or another I mean also I don't know why Cobb's got been given a bye I mean maybe because he's big but of course the uh, the odd one out, you know, one of these things is definitely not like the other, is why the fuck is Chase Owens being given a bye? Uh, exactly. Look at that entire thing and you go, where's Hikuleo? Hikuleo could have got that bye. It would have been well-deserved. It would have I been... know, I don't even think first time. And I, I very much am going to call, call out one of our favourites, Chris Charlton. He, cho- he chose Osprey and pretty much had everyone else in the United Empire lose. Absolute shithousery. Although I do love that Gideon Gray called him out for it on Twitter by saying, hang on, what the fuck is this? And Chris's response was beautiful of, sorry, I only chose one of your six guys that's in it. It was beautiful Twitter interaction. Second greatest Twitter interaction after Will Ospreay saying that he was going to miss Jay White, and Jay White just responded, fuck off, Will. I mean, it's the funniest Twitter, it was, it was the funniest Twitter interaction before uh, before Tony Khan and Errol Hawani's little spat where Tony Khan randomly, maybe not needing to, basically insulted Tony Schiavone. Like, you're as much of a generalist as Tony Schiavone. And everyone collectively went, what the fuck did Tony Schiavone do? Oi, that's it. What the fuck? Like, why Tony? And like, you know what? Let's face it. I I try and give Tony a buy as much as possible because, you know, he is a little bit crazy, but but quite often he puts on good shows. But even I've got to be like, hold the fucking phone. Lay off the crack, son. Lay off the cocaine. Think about what you've just said. Now, don't get me wrong. A lot of people don't like Ariel Hawani. He's very known to divide people's opinions. He is a bit of a dick. But that was not... Don't throw Tony under the bus. Tony Shiavon is a lovely man. He is a saint. Like Dorothy Mantooth. <laughs> don't you dare harm Tony Shiavoni. It's like, like, yeah, Earl Hawaii's not like the best. Like, I don't really know that much about him. I know he he once said in, in a in an interview that his favorite WrestleMania is WrestleMania Four, so that means you can't trust his judgment. But I just love that Michael Cole on commentary got to say, "There's Earl Hawaii, the unbiased journalist who asked asked think questions whether you want to answer them or not." Because Earl Hawaii did an interview with Tony Khan. Tony agreed to do the interview, and he's like, "Okay, so what's happening with CM Punk? Can't talk about that. What's happening with this thing? Can't talk about it." Ring of Honor, can't talk about it. Like, 
<laughs> what do you want me to ask you, Tony? What, what's your favourite fucking colour? What, 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 what colour what crayon did you eat as a child? Where on this this let's say this colour chart of different whites? How white was the cocaine you smoked earlier? You snorted earlier on. Did, <laughs> did you made a joke about him before I did there? Well, yeah, he's a bit crazy. Yeah, the cocaine will do that to you, allegedly. But I mean, watch his look at his eyes in that promo where he announces that the trios and heavyweight title were, were vacated after all out. Like he was out his face. If the camera lingered on him any further, he'd been. You've been desperate to tell you about a fucking screenplay he's just written. <laughs> hey, do you want to see the screenplay I just written? No! Fucking stop it. This guy, he tries to run a wrestling company and he's the other guy, they try to stop him, but he's not going to take that shit. No, he's not. He's not. Honestly. But anyway, yeah, New Japan. That's it. Whatever. Ah. So Chris Charlton, as you said, yeah, he had Wallsbury winning. Like, he had him face and show to him in the final. And uh, no offence, Shota, I mean, I know a lot of people give you a hard time. I wasn't a fan of your match against Naito, but this is nothing personal, but please, God, no. Uh, maybe next year's New Japan Cup final, a bit more development. I see him being in it, but please don't put Shota in the final list. And I don't even think Osprey's going, I'm still maintaining Osprey's going to get close, but no cigar. And then he's going to... He's going to win the G1. I'm still... I'm sticking by that. But... uh. Tell me about some of your favourites because I've actually heard a lot of people after he's promoted Bat on the Valley, a lot of people claim that they think that David Finlay is shot right to the top of the favourites list. Finlay, I think, is going to make an impact. But it's a cold day in hell before I choose him over the great Okan. All hail. All hail. Honestly, there's so many potentials here, and I'm trying to think, like, in my mind, whoever wins isn't going to dethrone Akada. But I want them to have a good match with him. On that basis, I love. I, I, I mean, my heart would always say Snada, but I don't want to see the heartbreak of having to watch him get beat by Okada again. It's just not right. Mm-hmm. Jeff Cobb, however, mm. would be a fucking beautiful match with Okada because we know they two can go at it big time, and they've only had a handful of encounters in the last couple of years, so mm. it's still relatively fresh. It, it, to me, it's about finding someone new without going back to the well too often. The idea of like Cobb fighting, I mean, imagine if they had a plan for a big guy to fight him. Imagine if like if Jonah was still around and hadn't gone back to WWE, they might have like thought about giving him this shot. Like have him go through the New Japan Cup field to get that shot at Okada because Okada wouldn't like defend the briefcase against them. I think it would have been an interesting shout, but like I could definitely see a reaction him and uh, Okada. But yeah, I have three favourites here for various reasons. Partly heart overhead for most of them. I got Kenta. Always root for Kenta. I mean, had he not had that match in the beginning, I would have said Shingo all day. <laughs> but Shingo's already had his title shot. So my three are Kenta, and ironically, someone he might fight in the second round, Tai Chi. Actually, well, I think Tai Chi's a dark horse to win this. And also, my heart will always say Grio Can. And then mentally, I've I booked myself a final because they're on separate sides of Great Okan v Taichi. Can you imagine that as a New Japan Cup final? Honestly, I would not complain. And it's like, like you have kind of got like, I've probably got like three people who, in my mind, are my, my kind of top choices for winner. And again, like you, I've got Taichi as a dark horse pick because I, I honestly, I could see it happening. Um, 
The only thing, though, um, I also would would go with Great Okan because all hell. And now this one is more out there, but I love the potential. Kyle Fletcher. Oh, interesting. Because that boy can go, and he did have to go a good period on his own when Mark Davis was injured a few years back on the Indies. And I know for a fact that Fletcher had a singles match with Shingo at Rev Pro in Manchester. Oh, that is very interesting. I mean, I don't know how, what his chances are with Kyle Fletcher because I don't think Gato will can resist the idea of a second round match between both members of Bishamon. But, you know, I could see Mark Davis going through silly because, again, want to see tie partners fight. There's a possibility of getting to see Dunkzilla versus Osprey. That's it. There, there is so many potential, like, United Empire matchups. It's actually, like, I, I love the potential of some good old-fashioned inter, inter-faction warfare for a tournament. Because it is interesting to see how different like how different pairings work, like some people try and keep it kind of clean, some people just go, no, what? I know we're friends, but for the next 30 minutes, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. An interesting first round match, I think, is that one that's been around, that's been around with thrown in there that doesn't, like, it could go either way, that could surprise you. The fact that Knight was taking on ELP. Yeah, Knight or ELP. Could we see another upset where Naito gets put out in the first round? Could be, a, could be the case. Could Do I want to see any of them face Chase Owens? Not Absolutely really. not. <laughs> oh. But like looking at this, these guys, like a lot of the guys who got buys, like I said, are champions. Quite a few people who like could other any other time win it are already champions. So I don't think we're going to have somebody who's already a champion win it. I mean, not a New Japan belt. So that's why I said Okan, because, you know, he's champion of the British and all that. <laughs> but, and also part of the reason I said Daichi is because you look at the left-hand side of the bracket, if, if it works out a certain path, there's a chance we get a semi-final on the left-hand side of Will Osprey versus Daichi. And I read that from, from uh, Sapporo. Osprey, Taichi you know you're going to get an absolute fucking banger. Um, like really, when it comes to like either Osprey Tai Chi, Osprey Sonada is another one that could, they could go back to. They could run that over again because of what happened a while back. And on the, the right or right-hand side, I know it's not likely because of where they are in the brackets, but say we got Shingo and ZSG again. Hmm. Interesting, because like I'd love to see Great Okan, like you said, like because we've talked about how much I love him here, but he's up against so much stiff competition here. Because like either he faces Tommy Hirishi or David Finley, who's just got this new gimmick, who maybe they don't want to take too many losses. And then if he gets through either of them, he may have to fight ZSG and possibly someone like Shingo or Tamatonga after that. So, like, there's just so much, so many obstacles being thrown in front of our boy Okan. But I do like the possibility of a second round match between Tamatonga and Shingo because I don't think that's that's something we've ever actually seen before. Actually, yeah, that's a point. Have we seen Shingo Tama? 
Not to my recollection. If they've encountered each other, I would assume that it's been in, in some form of tag contest because I don't remember a singles between them. So, yeah, I think one of the last times that GOD were in World Tally, like single was in there with Sonata, so they might have crossed there, but singles wise, they've never crossed. Because I don't think they were in the same. I cause like remember when both members of GOD were in G1, like I think it was last year or the year before. No, I, I was, it would have been the year before, before they did the weird two, four block thing, but you had Tangaloa in the same block as Shingo when Tama was in the one that had like Okada and all that. That's it. I am. I'm looking for it, and yet I cannot find. I can find Shingo of his Tangle. I think that must have been in the G1 some time ago. Yeah, but there has been. Yep, from what I can find, there is no record of Shingo v's Tamatonga. Because yeah, I think uh, A Block was Shingo was in that, and Tangaloa was from there, and then that was the, the. I think Okada won that one as well. Like the only person that beat him in B block was Tama Tonga. So that was the story then. So it's very interesting there. And it is, I think it's a good sign that we do not know who's going to win it. But I think we both can agree, like you said, it's not gonna, they're not going to beat Okada. But I think more so than the G1, they've used the New Japan Cup to use somebody who maybe any other time of the year may, might not get a title shot. Like ZSJ has become more of a title contender after his second one, but the, when he went it the first time, people were surprised. Like, and they've taken like chances on people or like given them their first proper shot before they push them later on. Like your quite a boost or like when they what they were probably hoping to do with Shibata back in the day. So you never can tell. I mean, it's very rare that like other than it, like Okada or whatever, that somebody who is like more established will win the New Japan Cup because. I mean, could anyone have called evil winning it in 2020? No. Still don't like that. Still, still. <laughs> I, I just like to try and forget it ever happened. Just. It never just happened. Absolutely get to fuck with that shit. Absolute box. But yeah, it is, it is very reassuring to see that we've got a smaller field that is stacked with a lot of champions and wherever you look at it, you're going to get a lot of New championship matchups in the back of it. Uh huh. And whoever wins this cup, I reckon it's going to be a banger against Okada after it. Mm. Absolutely. Like, like you said, I think we do set up for quite a few two on that. I think somehow after this, we do need to set up that tease match with Cobb and Bloody Omega because it was a hell of a match at the Dome, but. Like, come on, they fuck like, oh, sorry, up and defend this uh, Omega because you're not really doing much uh, on AEW with those trios belts. You've already done, yet had, had a match with Top Flight and AR Fox, and you had so little to do, he's done it again a week later. I'm going to hate myself for saying this because, well, Omega, despite, despite the fact that it will cost me points, possibly, go in the house of black. <laughs> yeah, that I'm looking forward to. I want. Some, we need to, we need to get him back over to Japan. We need to get called over AEW for a, a US title match. But yeah, I could see like Kanari coming under single after he loses here, maybe for the KOPW shot or over Pinstama coming after the Never Belt. And interesting enough, continuing title feuds, you know, Narita and Evil who are involved in this six man like rivalry. Like maybe maybe Evil, as much as we really hate it, would actually cheat to you know. I know it's hard to think of Evil cheating, but 
Evil gets an upset win over Narita in the first round and uses that after the tournament to get another shot for the house, for the house of torture. Once again, a strong sale had to put them in their place. That's it. There's, there is a lot of... Actually, hang on a second, that's a thing to think of. We've got new six-man tag, tag champs and only one of them's in the tournament as well. Where know, is where, Suzuki? I know, where's Suzuki? Where's Desperado? Because, again, they've, I think they've also... When you look at it, because the, they've shortened the field, they've gotten rid of the open weight kind of thing, other than how else they never open weight champion, but there's no juniors this year. Closer thing to a junior, I think, is fucking Kyle Fletcher. I said this... Now, now I'm like thinking about that. I'm like, hang on, yeah, there's a few more gaps there. Like, but then at the same time, like, like, yeah, let's not make this um, too big a tournament. Yeah, and plus, you know, we're gonna have enough probably house to torture shenanigans on the undercard the shows because I'm sure Despy and Suzuki will be running about that field. So keep them, keep it to the undercard, keep it out of the tournament if we can help it. Oh yes, definitely. Like keep keep that. That shenanigan shit. I suppose that's one good thing. We don't have the rest of the House of Torture trying to get into this. Thank fuck. Well, we're going to have to wrap up there because I've noticed we actually went an hour and a half and I didn't think we'd go that long. But, you know, there was a lot to talk about with ramifications of jail leaving and battle in the valley. And again, I really love the New Japan Cup, so I love talking about it. And I look forward to getting to talk about the fallout next time and any other big matches that were made after this because also, as I said, at the final of the New Japan Cup on the 21st, we're going to have the junior rate title match, so then you guys imagine whoever wins that is going to get challenged for another big match at Secure Genesis, something like that, and then that'll take us onwards from there. But yeah, until next time, where we're here to talk about the New Japan Cup, I'll let you thank Gabby Crawley for joining me for another episode of East Meets West. It has been a pleasure, despite the heartbreak of the New Japan era final being over. Too soon. But it's been a pleasure. Yes, go on, don't forget. I can't believe we're not gay. Jay will never win the the G one. He will never win. <laughs> He'll never stand tall at the Tokyo Dome main event. He he flew too close to the sun, and now and now he is gone. <laughs> but you know, make sure you follow us on Twitter at a uh, Super Treat on Facebook and Instagram as well at Super Super HP Treat Community, get involved in the Listeners League, get involved in the Easter, get involved in the conversation with the shows here on ESSR. Uh, like, uh, give us a like, rating, review on your chosen uh, Android podcasting platform, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, we're on it. Past episodes of East Meets West, our feature shows, Central, Saturday, Highlight, all in the back, all, all great stuff back there, and some great stuff still to come. And until next time, remember, remember to subscribe and Breathe with the switchblade. Goodbye.